nine in 10 asset managers say that the person that they automatically target with their products are men. So we're seeing on both sides, both on the user base, but also in terms of the people that are represented at the top, there's just this huge gender gap. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, a podcast brought to you by JBM, a search firm that places executives and future leaders into high growth startups and scale-ups. I wanted to start by saying a big thank you to our series sponsors, Chipper Cash. We had the great pleasure of having Chipper's founder, Hamsa and Joji, on the podcast last series to find out all about their amazing journey from startup to double unicorn. So I definitely encourage you to check out the interview via the link in the show notes when you get a chance. If you haven't heard of Chipper Cash before, they're an African cross-border payments company trusted by over 4 million users, and they're widely considered to be one of the most valuable African fintechs. The company's been on an incredible journey, and the team is hiring for some exciting roles. So if you want to be part of the mission to unlock global opportunities and bring Africa together one transaction at a time, then head over to chippercash.com forward slash careers to find out more. And now on to today's episode. I'm joined by sisters Margot and Alexia de Broglie, co-founders of the fintech Your Juno, an app widely referred to as the Duolingo of finance. Margot and Alexia are the first ever sisters we've had on the podcast, and they're on an amazing mission to empower women and non-binary people through financial education. At a time when only 2.2% of funding goes to female-led tech companies, your Juno raised an amazing $1.6 million to help close the financial gender gap in a funding round led by InReach Ventures alongside a board of predominantly women angel investors. I couldn't think of a better time to speak to Margot and Alexia about their mission, and we had a fantastic chat. They shared some great insights from their journey from conception to having 10,000 downloads. We also talk about how they're building a purpose-driven team and how we can all do our part to close the financial knowledge and confidence gap. I hope you find this episode as thought-provoking and insightful as me. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 40 minutes with the super inspiring to Brogley Sisters. Alexia, Margot, welcome to 40 Minute Mentor. It's awesome to have you here today. How are you both doing? Really good. Thank you so much for having us. It's such a, such a pleasure to be on. Well, it's an even bigger privilege to have you both here because I'm very excited about your business and uh, can't wait to share it with our listeners. But before we jump into that, we always start with some quick fire questions. So if you could just finish these sentences, that'd be awesome. When I was younger, I always wanted to be... An astronaut. Nice. Nice. Okay. A racehorse veterinarian, specifically. <laughs> My first job was... Running silent discos for companies. Oh, I love that. That's great. I've still never been to a silent disco. I need, I need to tick that off the list. In marketing at Chanel, it was an internship that I, in full transparency, received through my mother because I didn't think that we should talk about this with honesty. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for being transparent about that. My biggest achievement in my career to date is... Giving a TED Talk. Raising funding for Juno. Uh, I think there's not many women in the financial space raising funding, so very proud about that. <laughs> As you should be. I wish I could be better at... Giving feedback. That's a very good one. That's one of the hardest things. I think especially as being a founder, learning how to do that effectively. 
doing detailed work. I'm very good at sort of big picture thinking, but I'm not a fan of diving into detailed work. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. I kind of lots of ideas, but then when it comes to the execution, sometimes the nitty gritty bits, yeah, are not so fun. My biggest vice is not knowing how to turn off my brain when I finish work and just continuously thinking about the issues that we're facing and the challenges of the moment. Spoken like a true founder there. Being in the future too much and not in the present moment, getting excited by future plans without thinking about what we could currently achieve. Okay, that's a good one. And finally, can you share something we wouldn't learn from your CV that could be a perceived failure or a setback? I think I took a year out between my second and third year of university because I felt completely lost and moved to South Africa to try to find myself in a classic gap year story. And I think I did. So happy new Amazing. Great stuff. I worked as a childhood educator for eight months in Australia because that was the quickest pathway to obtain permanent residency. And then at the end of the eight months, they changed the law. And so I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> oh, no. oh that's, that's, that's awful. Uh, well, thank you very much both. For, I feel like we've already got a really interesting insight into both of you. And I'd love to jump in and talk about the amazing careers you've had today. And I know they've not been that long so far, but you've achieved a lot in a very short amount of time. So before we talk about your Juno, I'd love to get to know you as sisters, because you are the first sisters that have ever appeared on the podcast. So tell us a bit about your upbringing and have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, so Alexa and I, our sisters, we have one year difference, so we're very close and we're half French, half German, so we grew up in Paris and we come from an entrepreneurial family, but our mom always tended to, to push us outside of our comfort zone. So what she used to do is she used to take us as a little trio of three women onto really big adventures, like month-long treks through Mongolia or Suriname, which is in the Amazon. And I think that really shaped our relationship with Alexa, because if you take two teenage girls and you put them together in the Amazon without a phone, it really, they just have to create a bond. So that's kind of what happened. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that's something that I think I want for my, my daughter as well, just those, those adventures. You know, when you're younger, there's such special times as, a, as like a family unit. So that sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing. Awesome. So you clearly bonded, you know, from a young age and then you've gone on to, you know, start a business together. Margaret, you've already had some experience as an entrepreneur. So can you tell our listeners a bit about your first venture, Secret Sunrise, and how you made the decision to step away from that and then start your Juno? Yeah, absolutely. So Secret Sunrise was in a completely different space. I started it while I was at university and it was basically morning silent discos for companies. So it was a one hour facilitated experience where I take teams through this energizer, this dance experience and very random thing to be doing, especially because I was 18 at the time and I worked with companies like Google, NetWest, Deloitte, I'd come in in the morning with my colorful leggings and my headphones and be like, okay, today we're going to do something differently. So it definitely taught me a lot about just pushing myself outside my comfort zone and what it takes to start a business. And then obviously during the pandemic, in-person events became a little bit less popular. I tried to do the thing online, but it just didn't feel the same way. And that created this sort of spaciousness that allowed me to really think, what is the big problem that I want to tackle? What is the wider deeper thing that I that I really care about. And I think that's what you know started in perfectly. Amazing, amazing. And what lessons from your experience with Secret Sunrise have you have helped you as you've kind of gone on this journey 
so far as a, as a founder and given this is i guess your first time working together like how how has that startup experience been for you yeah um i think the biggest takeaway for me has been the power of communities so i started this when i was 18 i was by myself in london i didn't really know anyone that could help me and within a year i had 14 facilitators i was running the events with 10,000 people and i think what really helped in that was creating real authentic connections with the people that were coming to the events and really supporting them to become part of the movement as well. And I think that's something that we've really tried to replicate with Juno as well is this community first approach rather than going product first. Amazing. And yeah, I think we're increasingly seeing the power of community and how, you know, JBM has actually just hired our first ever head of community. And I think it's that's off the back of seeing some startups and some VCs just doing it incredibly well and how powerful it is. So that totally resonates with me. Thank you very much. Alexia, I'd love to learn a bit about your earlier career because I know you started in consulting. So what was that experience like and, and why did you decide that the startup world was the best thing for you after that? It's interesting because I've always known that I wanted to start my own company and all of my friends knew this about me. But when you study something like finance, there's almost an expectation that you would go into a career that is either consulting or investment banking or accounting or one of those fields. And seeing all of my friends going into this, I found myself quite fearful of trying to start my own company and always having a feeling of potentially not being good enough for it. And so I just kind of selected consulting by default because that's where everyone else was going. And it felt like it could not be a wrong decision because it is a door opener. When I look back at it, I definitely think I could have just started my company straight after university rather than, than, than going through that path. But it has taught me a great work ethic, which I think those companies are renowned for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And look, I, I started my career recruiting consultants. A lot of the people we place are now ex-consultants. They're now working tech. So it's definitely a great uh, grounding, I think. And as you said, that kind of you get a very good education from, uh, you know, just some of those really core skills that really are helpful in a startup. But it's interesting that you say, looking back, you could just jumped into it. And I think I feel like that now. I kind of had three years in my career and then started JBM. Uh, and I think oh, I could be that much further along if I did it. But in some ways, I guess we wouldn't be where we're at without that experience, right? I think it also helped for fundraising. When you're fundraising and you're trying to get money from investors, I think having this sort of um, name on your CV tells them that you are someone that is typically quite hardworking. So it's almost like a, a rite of passage or a, a quality stamp, if you want, <laughs> as sad as that is. <laughs> what advice would you have for any people that are working in consulting at the moment that are like, oh, I love hearing about like the startup life and the entrepreneurial life? What would you say to them? To be completely honest, I would just say to try it out because at least for the companies that I used to work at, you could quite easily decide to come back if after a year you had somehow found out that it wasn't the right path for you. So there's not really any loss in taking a career break and trying another path for a year. I think that's really good advice. I think that's really good advice. You could always go back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, no, well, thank you for that. I'm sure there'll be loads of consultants like running to, <laughs> to, to sort of ask for a sabbatical and jump into the startup world now. Uh, I really love the mission behind your Juno. And I think I, I read that the idea had been born out of lockdown and, and you've alluded to you know, friends asking you financial advice. So uh, Alexia, could you tell us a little bit about your Juno? Like, give us the elevator pitch, how it came to existence and what is the big mission 
that you're trying to achieve? With Yojuno, we're trying to accelerate the closing of the gender wealth gap. And we're tackling the problem truly at its root, where we are trying to improve women and non-binary's financial confidence and financial knowledge. The problem appeared to me during the pandemic when I was noticing that all the markets came crashing down and there was a lot of interest in the topic of investing. But I could see that the conversations I was having with my girlfriends were very different to the conversations I was having with my male friends. My girlfriends were asking me sort of what a share is and how do you start investing, whereas my male friends all had this incredible crypto portfolio and they're all beating the market somehow, which I don't know how truthful that is. (laughs) And I thought, how come there is this massive gender divide on the topic of finance? And then the more digging you do, unfortunately, the more heartbreaking facts you stumble upon. And we just noticed that the whole world of finance is still completely dominated by men and that women oftentimes still see themselves as these excessive spenders that are bad with money and that investing is a world that they couldn't enter. So that's when we decided to build the app that Juno is today, where we provide unbiased and personalized financial education and we're building a community for women centered around the topic of finance. So they have a safe place to discuss this topic. Love it. Absolutely love it. And it it is so needed. Your Juno has been described as the Duolingo of finance. So Margot, tell tell our listeners that are intrigued and going to rush out and hopefully download the app. What can they expect from it? Yeah, absolutely. So what we've tried to build with Juno is a really engaging and fun learning experience because we all know that the topic of finance is one that can be quite anxiety inducing and quite stressful as well. So what we've built is these bite-sized lessons led by female role models and experts who really take the topic of, let's say, student debt and break it down in a way that's understandable, that's clear, and most importantly, where the information is unbiased. Because often if you go on Google and you try to find information, you'll find websites that are um, pictures from the banks who are actually trying to sell you something. So they might give you good information, but at the end, they'll be like, okay, now you can open an account with us. And the whole point of the education is actually just a sales funnel to get you to click on that bank account. So for us, the idea is really take on, on this role of the older sister that you never had, that is really clever and wise with her money, but is also really cool and inspirational that you want to follow in her footsteps. And that it's not this topic that is draining, but that it's much more life affirming, I would say. Amazing. And clearly already from the success you're having, I can just see how successful this is going to be because and I think it's so important to, for us to talk about it because as you said earlier, Alexia, I think I think there are a lot of men that are very kind of bullish on on you know knowing it all and not everyone, but I think there's there's definitely is a, a bit of a trend on that note. And I think I can see how valuable this would be. Um, I have sisters, I have a young daughter, and I will, as soon as she's old enough for it, I'll definitely encourage her to get involved. Over the last few years, the news has covered a lot about the, the growing gender pay gap, but there hasn't been much coverage on the gender gap in financial literacy. So, and I think the two are very much connected. So, Alexia, can you tell us a bit about the research you did into this and like what you think needs to happen to close this gap? It's fascinating because the gender financial literacy gap exists in basically every single country in the world. And it is sort of a legacy of outdated gender norms that we're still carrying in today's society where the man is the breadwinner and the woman is the one that spends on household items. And unfortunately, it's a feeling that a lot of women have internalized and therefore it is creating this gender divide in the way you relate to your finances. 
What I find fascinating is a study that came out not very long ago that tried to understand why is there a financial literacy gap? And what they wanted to test is, is some of the financial literacy gap due to a lack of confidence rather than a lack of knowledge of women. And so they did this financial literacy exam that they handed out to both men and women, and they removed the question, which was, I don't know. And that had always been present previously in other financial literacy exams. Suddenly, when you remove this question, women got 33% of the answers right more often than when there was the I don't know. And so what they concluded from this is that oftentimes women do know the answer and they do know how to invest or how to manage their money, but they don't feel as though they do. And so they don't have the confidence to do so. And that's something that we have taken as the foundations of Juno, rather than focusing on just pure factual knowledge, it's really trying to reframe the narrative that you're telling yourself and, and trying to reframe this sentence that we all say of, I am bad with money and I don't know what I'm doing, into building this financial confidence and, and thinking, I've got this and I can invest and I understand the basics and that's all I need to know for now. Brilliant. Thank you. You say yourselves that closing the gender gap in financial literacy isn't the final hill to climb in the track towards gender equity. So, Margot, what else needs to happen, especially in tech, which we know is has a long way to go, let's be honest, to close that gap? And what steps can founders or leaders listening to this sort of take to help sort of solve this problem? Yeah, absolutely. I think the reality is that the tech industry, especially the fintech industry, has been built with men in mind rather than women, because we see that most of the leaders, most of the founders, most of the C-suite people in fintech tend to be men. And so they base the products that they build on their own experiences, which is completely natural. We would all do that. And there was a really interesting study that came out recently that said that nine in 10 asset managers say that the person that they automatically target with their products are men. So we're seeing on both sides, both on the user base, but also in terms of the people that are represented at the top, there's just this huge gender gap. And so I think for us as an industry, what we really need to do is improve the diversity at the top as well, so that the experiences of women and non-binary people are reflected and taken into account into the products. So I think that means, you know, employing more women and non-binary people at the top, listening to their own lived experiences and how their priorities might differ to men, but also backing more female founders in the space. We know that, you know, as a female founder, it's notoriously difficult to get capital. And I think because of that, we're missing out on this huge opportunity to build products by women for women. And I think there's a huge responsibility that lies in the hands of those that have currently the power and, and the means to support those female founders to also keep doing that. I totally agree. And it's good business sense, right? I mean, there is a lot of, we are missing out, I think, on a lot of amazing entrepreneurs to invest in, a lot of amazing ideas, just because unfortunately, it's just the way it's always been. And I think that's changing, but there's a hell of a long way to go. So, you know, kudos to you guys, because I think what you're doing is not only building a very successful business, which I'm sure will go very far, but then also by educating other women, hopefully giving them the confidence to go out and start, you know, other unicorns and, 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 and not just unicorns, just great businesses that make an impact in the world. I love it. And I'm sure our listeners will too. 
Before we continue with today's episode, I was wondering if I could ask you a small favor. We absolutely love sharing our guests' inspiring stories with you, and I can't thank you enough for being one of our loyal listeners. But feedback is so important. So if you have any suggestions on how we can make 40-Minute Mental even better, or you just want to tell us how much you love the show or a particular episode, then we would love to hear from you. So please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm and leave us a review. We really, really appreciate it. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to hear from you. You've gone from, you know, uh, conception to 10,000 downloads of the app in, in a really short sense of time. So, so massive congrats on that. I'd love to hear a bit about, and this is to both of you, a bit about the journey and some of the harder moments. You know, we, we know startup life isn't always fun. What have you had to overcome? What mistakes have you made along the way? Like, what's that first year been like as co-founders? Yeah, just to echo what I said at the start, I think we've been community first since the beginning. And really that element of being mission driven and building a community around that shared purpose is what has allowed us to scale so quickly to 10,000 downloads. But there's definitely been loads of challenges around <laughs> along the way. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is the fact that Juno is a category defining product and nothing like it exists before. We have to do a lot of consumer education around the importance of learning about finances and specifically for women. Why is it so important to learn how to manage your finances? And so it's a big challenge because first you need to educate the consumer on the importance of why they need to educate themselves. And then you need to actually educate them around finances. And that has definitely been quite challenging, even though times are changing. And I think the topic of personal finance is becoming quite trendy at the moment, surprisingly, <laughs> which we are very happy to see. <laughs> and then the, the second big challenge as well is that sometimes our mission is interpreted as being patronizing. If you say financial education for women on the app store, for example, it can often seem as though we are dumbing things down so that women can understand it. And so making sure that we're navigating that quite smoothly and explaining that we're not trying to dumb anything down for women, quite on the opposite, we're just trying to create a safe space for women to, have, to be able to discuss finances, which previously they haven't been involved in. So it's more about bringing more women into the world of finance rather than dumbing it down for them. But that is quite a fine line to navigate. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, it's great. It's, it's, it's great to hear, I think, about that the heart of it to the, the journey. And I think one of the other hardest things we've always found as a, as, a, as a business owner myself, but also for most of our clients is hiring. So obviously a, a topic that is uh, close to my heart and you've built a really talented team that are clearly very driven by your mission. Margaret, can you tell us a bit about how that hiring experience has been? And what do you look for candidates? Because I think there's going to be a few that will be listening to this going, I really want to work for your Juno. So what is it you're after when you you look for, for talent? Yeah, this is a, a very topical question. We're hiring at the moment, so we're in the, the midst of it. And I must say that the team we've built is, is our pride. I think we've built a really exceptional team and it's been our key focus. Something that we've learned, I think, from the interview and the, and the headhunting process has been to really look out for three key criteria. 
The first one being the matching skill set. So do they have the capabilities and the past experience that means they can hit the ground running in that role? I think that's the one that gets emphasized the most when people hire. But two other ones have been really important for us, which are the cultural fit. Not only meaning will they fit into the existing team, but also are they incredibly passionate about the mission? Is this something that, you know, they wake up in the morning and they feel driven to change this problem in the world? That's something really crucial for us. And then the last piece is stage fit. So obviously we're a very early stage startup. It's risky to join an early stage startup. Making sure that the person who potentially joins the team understands what that entails, both for their personal life, their own money situation, but also in the way things are done. If you have someone incredibly senior joining an early stage startup, they might be you know, they might be baffled by the fact that there's so few processes that they're just going to have to get stuck in and do all sorts of different tasks. And I think that's where often clashes can happen because we get excited by hiring someone who's just come from Google or from Facebook and we think, you know, they're going to be incredible. But if they don't understand that mindset shift that needs to happen when they join an early stage startup, I think a lot of a lot of challenges can arise from that. A hundred percent. And I, and I, I do hope when people listen to this, that, that's something that is considered because I think we get a lot of calls from people from banking and consulting, often many people who genuinely have thought seriously about this move and are very, very capable of making it very successfully. But then there's a lot of others that I think are the allure of startup world is great, but actually it's just not right for them. And it's something we talked about on the podcast quite a lot. But I think I think really being open about that as through the hiring process is super important about it will be incredibly scrappy. You will have to be very hands-on. There's not going to be all the resources in place or processes. And just kind of just like, if that excites you, then go for it. But if it if that terrifies you and it's going to frustrate you, it's probably not the right environment. So I think it's a good thing to talk about because it will hopefully lead to less wasted time. I guess to that point, hiring we know can make or break companies if done well or badly. And it is really difficult in this climate to attract great talent. I think because there's so much amazing opportunity, there's so much money flying around from VCs. So, and there are just some really exciting opportunities. So Alexa, what's attracted your team to your Juno? And are there any other lessons you've learned from how you've convinced people to come on board that other, maybe other early stage founders can, can benefit from your experience? I would say the the most important factor when someone joins Juno is the impact that we are having and the mission that we're pursuing. I have a lot of startup founder friends that are also hiring at the same time and they work for what could be potentially perceived as less exciting industries and less impact-driven industries. And I really noticed the difference in the hiring processes. If you are pursuing something that is changing the world for a better place, it is so much easier to hire. And I think it's very important for most companies to try and find a way where they can portray themselves as being mission-driven and really showcase how they are creating positive impact. My generation, millennials, Gen Z, they're not willing to compromise on working for a company that doesn't align with their values. It's sort of a non-negotiable at this stage. And then I would say one of the key factors in terms of the team that we've built today is the fact that we have hired very, very slowly in the sense that we have hired freelancers very easily. There's a sentence, you know, hire 
slowly and fire fast. We have hired very fast, quite the opposite. And we've hired a lot of freelancers and we've worked with them. And I think through those couple of months that you work with them on a freelance basis, you can very rapidly vet whether or not they're a good candidate and then offer them a more permanent position. I would say about 75% of our team has gone through a period of being freelancers for Juno before they became fully fledged Juno team members. And for them, it's great because it's also less commitment. It's tricky because you're not going to find people that are looking for a full-time position in that sense, but you would find amazing freelancers. And then you just have to convince them that you're worth the move into in-house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is so topical because last year we launched a, a, a new business called SOS. And it's exactly this because we effectively introduced scale-up operators and, and talent into companies on, a, on an interim or part-time basis. And actually, it's it's the fastest growing part of our business because it's de-risking senior hiring for our clients. It's a chance for both parties to try before you buy. It's so powerful. And what we found is that 90% of those interim roles have gone permanent because it's kind of like the ultimate interview process, isn't it? You get to work with each other. You get to kind of um, see how each other operates in that environment. And it, there's less downside if it doesn't work. You either, you either call it quits and have learned something, probably they probably added some value and you've realized what doesn't work or you've got the perfect fit and you can just kind of you know, just crack on from there. So as, as I didn't realize that's how you'd, you'd grow in the business, but I think it's incredibly smart. And uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of other startups uh, using that that technique through SOS. So that's really interesting. Uh, I could definitely chat for a long time. We've got, we've got a few more questions to get to, but I really want to find out about what the rest of 2022 looks like. So fill us in on, on your plans and, and hopes and dreams for the rest of the year. Yeah, um, I think one of the big focuses for Juno this year is product market fit. I think every founder bangs on about that. But I think, again, because we're creating a product that's never existed before, that's our kind of North Star for this year. Then it's building out a lot more content. So we have the fundamentals of finance at the moment on the app, but topics obviously like investing. And then some I'm personally excited about are crypto, NFTs, getting more women involved in those spaces as well, are some that we're launching as well. Yeah, I think as well, expansion into another country. Once we've nailed the UK, the US is definitely on the top of our radar as well towards the end of this year or beginning of next year. Fantastic. Well, good luck with all of that. Very exciting times. Before we get to our wrap-up questions, I just wanted to ask, because we've never had sisters on the podcast before, I'm a solo founder. We've had lots of co-founders come on the podcast and we've learned a bit about those dynamics. But it, I guess it's it's probably even more heightened and intense and probably wonderful that your co-founders and sisters. But I'd love to hear from both of you. Like, what's it like working with family in this setting, and how do you navigate those challenging conversations or the conflicts that will obviously arise in startup life? I've got incredible amounts of respect to solo founders. I have no idea how they are able to navigate these times being on their own. I find it so emotionally taxing. And Margot is my support system and sort of best friend throughout the, the whole process as much as my coworker and my sister. I find it difficult to imagine doing this with someone else than a family member because Margot and I don't have any workplace politics. We know each other inside out. And so we don't spend any time building interpersonal relationships as you would with other colleagues. I mean, I know she likes me. I like her too. We don't need to worry about ruffling each other's feathers. And so when we work together, it's great because we can focus 100% on what needs to be done rather than 
walking on eggshells when you don't agree and trying to phrase things in a certain manner. We can just be our truest, most authentic selves with one another. And hopefully that trickles down into the team and they start building similar relationships as well. I think maybe a challenge that we have as as sisters is obviously we were raised the same. We think quite similarly and we also both have quite outspoken and big personalities. And so something that we're learning and that we have had to learn is really making sure that with the two of us at the top of the company, that we don't overpower the rest of the team and that we really open up the space for other team members to also express their opinion, express their views, and not feel like they somehow need to squeeze between the two of us and that there's really not that much space in there. So that's definitely still something that we're learning. Great stuff. And I guess linked to that, I know I've read that your mother was very financially savvy and clearly you you mentioned how she took you on these adventures and talked about financial things over dinner, these sorts of things. So I think it's different perhaps to a lot of families over here where finances can be a bit of a taboo topic or not spoken about. It's kind of something you learn just kind of over time. So what's your advice for anyone listening to this? I guess particularly women based on, you know, the Eugenia app, but that have kind of maybe feel a bit uncomfortable talking about money. What advice would you have for, for them? I would say the first step is recognizing that every single person that you speak to has a relationship with money. Money is something that we all have and that most of us are stressed by and it's a relationship that you can't escape. And so knowing that no matter who you have in front of you, if you bring up the topic of money and you open up about the shame or the guilt that you might feel around it, it will resonate with them. It is a universal experience, unlike things like weight management, for example, where it can be a lot more dependent on on, on people. This one is universal. So recognizing this. I think as well, it's it's about reframing it and seeing that we all benefit from being more outspoken. And it's actually become really urgent and important that we become more open about money. I think something really topical that's been happening recently is the conversation about, you know, millennials and Gen Z could be able to afford homes if only they stopped buying lattes and moved into the countryside. That's math just doesn't add up for that. And it's so important that we're transparent about the fact that most of us or half of the people actually have had the help of their parents to fund their home deposit. There's nothing wrong with that, but we just need to make sure that we start speaking about these things honestly so that the people who do not have that help don't feel like it's their fault. And if only they had stopped having flat whites, they would also be able to afford the same opportunities. And I think by being more open, we'll also be able to shift the responsibility from the individual blame on you're not trying hard enough into acknowledging that there's some really structural problems in our society, like generational inequalities, that we need to address as a collective. So I think shifting that into that perspective means that overcoming that potential awkwardness really takes a new meaning for people. Wow, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, You know, we've, we've done a special episode on advancing social mobility just talking particularly about this topic and yeah you've, you've really hit the nail on the head there sadly we're we're our wrap-up questions guys so uh, we're gonna just do what we normally do and just give you a few final questions to to pick your brains on and wrap up what's been a fantastic conversation so in one sentence what do you think the future holds for your Juno? We want to help every woman and non-binary person to reach their full financial potential. I just have to echo that. There's nothing else I can say. (laughs) And at the end of your career, what would you like to be remembered for? 
I find this a super interesting question just because I don't necessarily care whether I'm remembered for anything. I think it's sort of an ego trait that I don't have within myself, but I would hope that whoever I've crossed paths with feels as though I've tried my best at whatever I was pursuing. Yeah, I think building on top of that, for me, it's leaving behind a yeah, a trail of kindness and 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 making the world a better place, even in small, small moments. Oh, I love that. I love that. The world needs more kindness in it, let's be honest. And obviously, this is a 40-minute mentor. You're both now 40-minute mentors. So do you have one? And if you could be mentored by one person, dead or alive, who would that be and why? I can start. I just finished reading the Netflix culture book, No Rules Rules, and I was obsessed with it. So I would say Reed Hastings, one of the co-founders of Netflix. Yeah, please come join a startup. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say Whitney Wolf, the founder of Bumble. I think what she's done has been incredible and we could learn from her in every single way. <laughs> it's such good answers. And, and do you have mentors at the moment for yourselves personally? Yeah. So we both have executive coaching and we have advisors um, who are more senior and who also support us. The willingness of people to help you message them on LinkedIn. That is something that I would love to share is just if you have someone that you would like them to be your mentor, messaging them on LinkedIn is all it takes. The response rate is outrageously high. I am so surprised by it. And people are so much more willing to help than you would expect. Do you know what? That's so great to hear. And, you know, this this podcast is all about encouraging us all to go out and be mentors and take mentorship because we can all, you know, we can all advance our careers so much if we do that. And everyone's got something to give. And I think I, you're, I'm exactly the same as you. I would never have thought we'd have the board of advisors we do. And they've been like transformational for our business. And, and all it takes is sometimes just having the courage to reach out and, and ask. And I think you'll be surprised how many people are keen to help. So yeah, I, I love that you said that. And finally, guys, can you please tell me what is the number one piece of advice that you would have for our listeners? So that could be career advice, it could be life advice, but what do you want to leave our listeners with? Mm-hmm. I would say not to listen to that voice inside your head that says that you're not good enough. We are riddled with limiting beliefs, women specifically, and making sure that whilst that voice is there and it's going to be hard to to tell it to stop talking, you can recognize it and kind of take an observer seat about it and, and say, I'm not going to listen to you. I know you're there, but I'm going to do it anyways. And really making sure to work on that relationship you have with the negative self-talk, going to therapy, finding executive coaching and learning how to manage that little demon that's sitting on your shoulder and telling you that you're not good enough yeah i think mine would be a sentence that i read and i think simon sinek's book which was how you do one thing is how you do everything and that really resonated because i think there's so many little things that if we do them well consistently they end up being the foundations of our success but also of our lives more in general And I think especially as early startup founders, you might find yourself being asked to do an event for eight people or give a talk for eight people. And it's so easy to, you know, go and and not really make a big deal out of it. And it's only eight people and it doesn't really matter. But I think approaching each opportunity you're given as if it was, you know, a room full of 10,000 people means that you're putting in the energy that consistently will actually build up to getting to those places you want to get to such great advice i love both of those and i think to that last point i think you never know who's going to be in that room right you never know the impact that what you say 
is going to have on someone's life. And I think whether that's two people or 10,000 people, you know, just bringing your best self. And especially when you're talking about something you're passionate about, which you guys clearly are, and, and it really comes through. I think that's something to be, you know, just to, to always keep in mind. And yeah, we had um, Will Greenwood, the, the, the former England international rugby player, come on the podcast a few a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, his, his answer to this question was really just about making every day incrementally better. Just like, don't put yourself under huge pressure to like, you know, hit a billion pound. You know, it's like, actually, if you just make sure every day is just a tiny little bit better at what you're doing, then, you, you know, you're, you're doing the right sort of thing. And I think just things like that, let's, sometimes it's just small things. And um, yeah, I've really loved talking to you both. And I'm, I'm very excited about the, the year ahead. And I'll be championing you from the sidelines. So um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your mentorship and story with our listeners. We wish you the best. And uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be a chance to do round two when you're a unicorn in hundreds of countries. And, you know, hopefully some of these topics that we've talked about, you know, we'll, we'll be making a bigger dent in them. So uh, thank you so much for all you're doing. Well, thank you, James, for having us. Really appreciate being on this podcast and for being a big cheerleader. <laughs> we love when the mission resonates strongly with men as well, because that's not always the case. So it's good to speak with you. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. You know, I, I'm I'm surrounded by women at home and in my, you know, just wider family. And, uh, you know, I, I'm the biggest ally. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do whatever I can to, to help. So, um, yeah, thank you both. And, uh, yeah, good luck for the rest of the year. Thank, thank you, James. So much. Speak soon. What a mission and what impressive founders Alexia and Margot are. I loved talking to them and really admire for what they and the Your Juno team are building, especially as a father to a curious six-year-old who I know will benefit massively from what they're doing. We've never had sisters on the pod before, so it was great to see Margot and Alexia's dynamic up close. Not everyone could work with a sibling, I know I couldn't, but they clearly work so well together and the results are there for all to see, with a super engaged community and lots of fantastic press. I'm a big supporter of their mission, and I'm sure they'll go on to big things. Before we say goodbye today, I wanted to bring your attention to one of my favorite podcasts, Secret Leaders. Here's a little preview for you from their host, Dan Murray Serta, a previous 40 Minute Mentor guest. Definitely go check them out. If you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto, so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap, create a magnetic brand, get your first customer or even fire your mum? Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.